Well, good morning. We're going to enter in some worship. You're welcome to stay seated or stand if you'd like. Start with great is thy faithfulness.
Cause everyone needs compassion A love that's never failing Let mercy fall on me And everyone needs forgiveness The kindness of a Savior The hope of nations Savior, He can move the mountains My God is mighty to save He is mighty to save Forever, author of salvation He rose and conquered the grave Jesus conquered the grave So take me as you find me
the whole world see We sing it for the glory of the risen Uh, good morning. Will you please join with me as we go to the Lord in prayer? And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows, so I have come down to deliver them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you. I will certainly be with you. Lord, you have surely heard the cries of our people, the thousands in this city who labor and suffer under the bondage of sin, just as we did. You are not willing that any should perish, and unable to save themselves, you came down to deliver them by sending your Son, your only Son, to bring them life. And now you will be with us. Your Spirit will be upon us as you send us to be your witnesses of the gospel, to pronounce healing for the brokenhearted, sight for the blind, and liberty for the captives. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Lord, we thank you that you have placed us here and at this time. And though our land appears dry and barren, through the power of your word and your life-giving spirit, we can go out with joy and be led forth with peace to love and serve you and those to whom you send us. Fill us with your spirit and empower us with that abiding love that you have for your lost sheep, that we will be faithful in our calling to bring the good news and unwavering in our trust in you. The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessing of being called children of God. We are new creations in you, and we rejoice in the joy of our salvation. May we not forget that for whom much is given, much is expected. And Father, you have given us so much. You have washed us with the blood of your Son, and now we ask that you continually fill us with your Spirit, that we can walk in your light and share that light wherever you send us. In the name of Yeshua, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, La Jolla Community Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Well, I don't know about you, but this last year has really proved to me that Jesus can move mountains. So when we started singing that, I got a little excited and I smashed my bulletin a little bit while we were clapping. But I think this last year has really proven that if fear can't crush the kingdom of God, if COVID can't crush the kingdom of God, if everything that's been going on in this world can't crush the kingdom of God, I don't think anything can. And for me, my faith has just become that much stronger knowing that God is going to move no matter what happens in this world. Am I right? 
Well, thank you so much for coming to our wonderful church service this morning. My name is Ryan Sylvia. I am the director of youth ministries here at La Jolla Community Church. And I want to bring everybody's attention to our wonderful little bulletin you should have gotten on your way in. Yours is a little less crinkled than mine. But if you fold that top half... We would absolutely love if you tear off that top part. It says, welcome to La Jolla Community Church. My prayer is you would take this top part home and invite somebody to church. You would let them know that we've got a wonderful, loving, powerful congregation that wants to welcome them just as they are to the kingdom of God. So please take a moment. Take that home. Please don't throw it in the trash. I don't want to find any on the ground. If you do, stick it in the bottom of the trash so that I don't see it. But please take it home. Invite somebody to church. We would absolutely, absolutely love to have them. The bottom half of our little prayer card is for you guys. Uh, this first part says, let us pray for you. We at La Jolla Community Church believe in the power of prayer. We believe in coming together to lift one another up and encourage each other in prayer. One of my favorite things that I get to do every single week is individually pray over every single prayer request that gets turned in. If you need a friend that you've got some prayer for, maybe somebody who you're hoping to come to church but maybe won't have that conversation with you, or maybe you have financial burdens or something difficult going on in your life, please take a moment to fill that out. Please let us know how we can pray for you because we want to pour out that love. Or maybe you've got a praise report. You're like, God got me through something difficult. I would love to hear about that. So please take a moment, fill out that prayer card. And then right on the back side, it says, get connected with us. This is how we at La Jolla Community Church get you plugged in and some of the wonderful events that we've got going on. You may have seen some of our event slideshows flying around up there. If you want to get involved in some of the fun things here, maybe children's ministry or our parking team, please fill out this connect card. Let us know how we can get you engaged and plugged in here at La Jolla Community Church. And you can take that card, both sides filled out, along with your offering envelope, which is in the seat back in front of you. And you can drop those off on the boxes on your way out. Well, again, thank you so, so, so much for joining us. And with that, I would love to invite Pastor Steve up to lead us in a message. Thank you, Ryan. And uh, I hardly recognize Ryan today with that haircut. It's a fantastic haircut. And uh, all he had to do was commit four more years, and it's uh, good to go, right? So. Oh, my. Uh, we're talking about how God shapes our story. I want to, first of all, say thank you for being here. Thank you, everybody in the Welcome Center. Uh, thank you, all the people, tens and thousands of you watching online. Um, it's just good here to be in worship, and we're moving through the Bible. We're rapidly moving through the Bible. We just, we just uh, absolutely devoured Genesis last week. I mean, I don't know if there's anything left uh, to even consider in that book. It's uh, a mere 50 chapters, and we just flew through it, and then um, we're taking a break this week. We're only going through 40 chapters of Exodus. Uh, but we're asking the question, how does God's story shape yours? How does God's story shape yours? And perhaps you've never thought about those terms. I don't know. It's interesting, some of the most important questions um, just don't ever get asked. We don't think about it. Um, years ago, uh, a guy called me up and he said, hey, uh, we have a mutual friend. And he said, we should get together. I said, oh, great. You know? And my friend had given me a heads up. And he said, hey, a guy who was my fraternity brother a million years ago at Stanford University, I, I ran into him. I was telling him how you know, Christ had made a big difference in my life. And I told him he needed to, he should connect with you. And he said he would. And so this guy, whose name was on his building downtown, I didn't really know anything about the guy. And he says, hey, uh, our friend said I should call you. Let's get together. Meet me, we'll meet in the penthouse office where I hang out and we'll have lunch. I said, oh, great, sure, you know. Your penthouse office or mine? I don't know, it doesn't matter to me. So I went downtown and we met, and he's a super great guy and kind of one of the fathers of the city, you know. Um, nothing happens without somebody saying, hey, what do you think about this? And so we're having this great talk. It turns out we have other friends in common, and um, he said, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a pastor. He said, 
Well, look at the time. I mean, my gosh, you know, uh, what a great lunch. Time to move on to the rest of the day. Uh, and he said, wow, okay. Um, what do you, you know, what does that mean for you? I said, well, I do this, this, and that. And he said, well, you know, I grew up uh, in the church and um, I have a relationship with it. This is great. And so I said, you know, I just have a question to ask you. Um, what do you think the church in San Diego can do to bless the city of San Diego? And it was about that quiet in the office. He just looked at me kind of like, uh, hmm. I don't know, I've never thought about it. Just never occurred to me that, that would be an issue, a question. And I said, I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I'm just asking you a question because this is the nature of the church, is to bless the city, is, is to bless people, families, individuals, uh, cities, counties, states, nations. That's the nature of the church. And, and, and if it's never occurred to you how that could happen, I'm, apparently we're not doing a very good job. We're not, we're not doing what we ought to be doing that you would say, hey, another thing you guys could be helping us do. We had a really great conversation the rest of the time. But how does God's story shape yours? And uh, we live in a post-Christian time, a post-Christian nation. I think it was a really bad idea uh, when the church got official status as the official religion of the empire. That was a big breakthrough moment at the time. He was going, this is fantastic. Not so much, uh, because a lot of assumptions got embedded in that, and, and it was a wonderful way to inoculate an entire civilization against the Lord. Get a little bit of this, and you'll not, get, you'll not get the full dose. So I'm not knocking the fact that this has been known as a Christian nation. Uh, we know the phenomenal history of this, of this uh, nation. And people, the first, the, the first governor said, this is a city set on a hill. Let's do everything we can to honor, glorify God, and bless people in his name. Uh, the, 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 the motto and the, and, the, and the foundational mission statement of every major university in this country initially was about equipping people to know and love God and use everything in their, in their power and possession to serve Him. Every single university was started that way. Harvard, Princeton. Dartmouth was a mission school for the American Indians. My point being that God's story, when it does shape ours, is because we're paying attention to his story and ours. <laughs> it's pretty simple that way. And so we study the Bible to understand how God's story shapes our own. It's not because we have nothing else to do with our lives. Well, I don't have a social life, I don't have any friends, I don't really know what to do. I, I know, I'll study the Bible. Uh, it's not a book for old people with nowhere to go. It's a book for all people who want to go somewhere that matters. And so we discover that we are made to be in a community, in a relationship, not only with one another, which would be natural to us, of course, yeah. Families, friendships, yeah, but a, a community centered around God himself that then informs every other relationship that we have. Uh, and so a healthy church is a collaboration of colleagues, a collective of colleagues committed to Christ. Hey, what do you think God wants us to do in our family, in our marriage, with our children, with our grandchildren? Uh, in our city, in, in the structures of our community. Thankfully, when I was talking to that guy downtown, there was another guy that he held in high esteem. He said, this guy really is the father of the city. And, and I'm praying he lives a long life. I, he said, because I know when he passes, the pressure's going to be on me to be sort of the father of the city in full. 
And when that friend did pass away, I saw this other guy at a concert down on the lawn there, down by the you know, convention center of the water. And I said, hey, how's it going as the father of the city? He goes, oh. But the neat thing was, because he knew that that mutual friend of ours was a follower of Jesus, and he knew that this guy saw his influence on the city uh, as an expression of his relationship with Christ, it, it, I, had a, I had a talking point with this guy, right? Uh, the only reason they named Qualcomm, Qualcomm Stadium Qualcomm Stadium at the time was because the guy who initiated the name of Jack Murphy was this mutual friend. And when they said, hey, we want to move from Jack to a sports writer in San Diego to this group that wants to give us a zillion dollars, they called this guy. And they said, hey, what do you think about this change? And, and my friend said, I didn't use these words, but he said the equivalent of, well, if this blesses the city, let's do it. Was that a religious thing? No, it was this guy being alive in Christ. Because God's story has so shaped his, he, he didn't see any discontinuity between him being him in the community and him influencing all kinds of people. He was in the living room when they named the Super Bowl the Super Bowl. The guy at the time that was the head of the NFL uh, had a kid bouncing a Super Bowl off the walls in the house in Rancho Santa Fe. And my friend said, hey, uh, that'd be super. Let's do a Super Bowl. Uh, and so it goes on and on and on. And this guy never went for credit or, or prestige or prominence. He just was there at the heart of where things were happening. And because God's story had so shaped his. So this is what it means to be a healthy collaboration of colleagues committed to Christ. It's sharing a common vision of God's authority released among people. For what purpose? To bless them. To call them out of death into life. To equip them with the things that would give them life to live in, in full. Uh, it's serving God with a compelling mission built on functional values. Lying, cheating, stealing are not functional values. It's valuing each person's contribution, each, person, each person's capacity, each person's commitment. It's not uh, equal giving, it's equal sacrifice, as somebody once said. What are you doing with what you have? We, we'll honor that. So the little kid that shows up in the crumpled handful of change, I, I want to give this toward this thing I heard about. We honor that. Uh, it's equipping people to be resilient and resourceful and using their gifts. It's celebrating progress and then also lamenting failure as you move through life. You cannot step out boldly in Jesus' name and not fail. As they led him to the cross, can you imagine the snide remarks of some of those people who were waiting for this to happen? That moment of schadenfreude. That, that when you, you, the, the, the glee you get when somebody you're jealous of or envious of or in competition with fails. It's called schadenfreude. And you can imagine the snide remarks, nice job, Jesus, hope you have a good end of the, of the journey, right? You can imagine that kind of thing going on. And so we celebrate progress, but the, the church isn't a perpetual hero story with us being the hero. It's Christ is the hero, and we're, we're immersed in conflict the whole time, it seems like. And so we lament our failure, we, we, we lament our mistakes, we lament the heartbreak of anything. But meanwhile, we're also celebrating what we see God doing. That's, that's the freedom we have as this collaboration of colleagues in Christ. And so in the book of Exodus, we see God shaping this kind of community. We, we, um, we're, we're amazed to see how something can start here and end up there. It's pretty neat, pretty fantastic. And so he does this by calling Moses to fulfill what was promised to Abraham. 
And we talked about Abraham uh, last week. And this, the story of, of, of Exodus starts in Genesis. In fact, the two books are linked with um, uh, the word uh, and. Uh, or, and as in and now, to continue. So it's very interesting. You read Genesis in Hebrew, you're reading, 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 it ends, and then you go to Exodus, and it goes, and so, and it continues. They're linked. Uh, so Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, they're all linked. And we're going to see that each week as we go through. We're, we're seeing, oh my gosh, there's a larger pattern here. At conversations today, we're going to talk about plot and character. What does plot and character have to do with the shaping of God's Word and the shaping of our lives? And so what did we see in Genesis? We saw the creation of the world. We saw the calamity of disobedience toward God. Uh, we saw what humanity can do so creatively. Unfortunately, when it's not in the Lord, it's evil. All that creativity becomes something really evil or horrible. Uh, and yet there's people who are yearning for what God had initially created us to do and be. Why? Because we all bear the image of God. And so even the most horrible people find themselves doing things that they, they, they hope will bless other people, right? That's why if you ever talk to a person who's an atheist and they're upset that you think that you, you have something on, over them on, in regards to virtue, they say, well, I can still do good things. Well, of course you can, because God created you for that. The problem is you can't do the good things in the way and for the purpose that God was, was initially creating you. And so all of our best efforts all, all you know, fall short. The road to hell is paved with good intentions, as somebody once said. We so much want to get it right, and yet it doesn't go right. All those unexpected, unforeseen circumstances. There's never been a, a legislative bill passed in Congress that doesn't have unforeseen consequences. There's never been a plan in your life that didn't have unforeseen consequences. Uh, one of the most informative intellectual journals uh, in the 20th century was called Mad Magazine. And had that picture of the guy, you know, uh, and, and, you know, what could possibly go wrong, you know? What, me worry? And so as, as, this, as, this, as, the, as this story moves to Genesis and God raises up Abraham and Sarah and through them uh, Isaac and Jacob, and Jacob has 12 sons, and, and one of the sons, you know, <laughs> infuriates the other uh, brothers, and he's sold into slavery, and the whole story of Joseph emerges, and at the very end, there's a, there's a reconciliation. And so we leave them in, at the end of Genesis celebrating. And the story continues, and we saw that Joseph is a foreshadowing of Christ. And so as we pick it up in Exodus, we left them in Genesis celebrating, we pick it up in Exodus, and they're suffering. How do they go from celebrating to suffering? Well, back in Genesis, uh, it, it, uh, I think it's in chapter 18, God tells Abraham, your, 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 your people are going to sojourn. Uh, in that case, it says, I think, for 430 years. Another place at that site, it says 400 years. Another place says 215 years. And this is one of those crazy things, by not knowing the plot or the character, that somebody says, oh, see the inconsistencies in the Bible? Well, no, it's, it's, it's perspective. It's when did, when, what, what time frame was God telling Abraham about what Time frame was the person who said 400. What was the person who said 215? So the fact is, uh, when we, we enter into Exodus, God is in the midst of building this family of 70 that came to Egypt into a tribe and then a nation. And it opens up in this really horrific way where a new regime, a new pharaoh, uh, is freaked out because so many Jews have populated the land. 
and they worship a God that's not Pharaoh. And it's threatening to him. And so for 86 years, they're put into abject servitude. 86 years of horrible, horrible, pernicious servitude to the point that they couldn't be broken. And Pharaoh said, I'm going to amp it up. I'm going to ramp it up. I'm going to, I'm going to make it worse than ever. I'm going, to, I'm going to command that every firstborn will be killed. When that didn't work, and they said, hey, what's with uh, these Egyptian midwives? And the midwives said, well, these Israeli women are so different uh, than Israeli as in Jacob, Israel. These, these Israelite women are different than the Egyptian women. They have babies like that. And we can't get there in time, and so we don't know what happens to these babies. We don't, it's not our fault. Well, from now on, you throw them in the river. Uh, it was a, a genocide focused on babies. Um, there was a big celebration apparently in Washington, D.C. this weekend talking about we want to celebrate the saving of babies, not the destruction of babies. Uh, and, and coincidental with that, not with that march, but just as it turned out this week, I was talking to a guy uh, I didn't know, I'd never met him before. I met him through another friend. We're chatting, and he's talking about uh, his life. And, uh, and he mentions his son. I said, oh, my gosh, how old's your son? And, and he said, oh, he's, he's 31. I'm like, I'm thinking, this guy must be 35. I said, your son's, you said 31, right? Yeah. Well, you look like you're 31. He goes, yeah, well, I was 15 when I became a father. I said, wow. I said, good for you. Not becoming a father at 15, but good for you being able to say you're a father. He said, yeah, it was an easy choice. I was 15, scared out of my wits, and no, no, no resources, but I knew this is the right thing to do. And as he started to talk about his son, his eyes kind of started to fill up. His, you can see his, you know that feeling when you feel your face quivering and you're trying to hold it together. He said, yeah, we're best friends. I'm like, oh my gosh. And then he mentioned his eight-year-old grandchild. I'm like, oh my gosh. Wow. And he's obviously 46. And I'm thinking, wow. Powerful. So this was tugging on the heart of these Israelis, obviously. It was tugging on the heart of God. So the baby Moses is put in a basket. The, the daughter of Pharaoh draws him out of the water. And that's what the name Moses means. It's about drawing out of the water. Um, and um, the first 40 years, he's the prince of Egypt. Uh, things change abruptly, and he becomes a refugee in the desert. Then um, eventually he becomes a leader of God's people. So he went from being a big somebody in Egypt as a prince to a nobody in the desert to this leader of people where everybody's included. So uh, I love that, you know, somebody, nobody, everybody gets in on this. So we picked it up in uh, Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 to 15. We're going we to take a little deep dive here. The rest of it is just context and I'll give you a little bit more context about what follows but this is what we're going to focus on. Uh, and so it says Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. Now Midian is, is if you're standing uh, from where you are, if you're looking north and you're in Egypt uh, you'd be looking toward Israel, keep going toward Lebanon, keep going, you know, what parts of Turkey and Iran and Iraq. To, to, to your right, you'd be up here, you'd see Syria, you'd see Jordan. Down here, you'd see Saudi Arabia, and here you'd see Midian. It's out in the desert. 
And yet there were roads that connected Egypt because that was the breadbasket of the entire region. If you were hungry anywhere else, you went to Egypt to get food. The Roman Empire owned Egypt because that was their farm. Like the British bought Ireland. Uh, They didn't buy it, they took Ireland and they turned it into a big farm. That's what nations do when they need to eat. And so Egypt had roads going from Egypt up the coast through the middle and around the side. So in that bleak desert place there was a road that traveled all the way up there to all those other places to the Persian Gulf. So that's where Midian is. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. We also know that as Mount Sinai. And it's not exactly a vacation spot. Though there is a monastery there called St. Catherine's Monastery that's been there forever. So there he was. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Now notice that the word Lord is capitalized. L-O-R-D, all caps. We'll come back to that in a minute. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Uh, We've talked about this before, this great phrase, here I am. Isaiah said it. It's this fantastic phrase, um, hineni, hineni, here I am, here I am. It's like I'm ready, you got my attention. What is it? I'm focused. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Now, the God of father, the, the, the father of, of Moses immediately, the God of your father, who knows who that is? I was telling um, some guys in our life group that I was at a party one time, and a guy walked up to me, and he said, okay, so here's a question for you. Who's the father and mother of, of Moses? I'm like, I have no idea. And I thought it was a silly question because, it, I, I, you know, it's not a big deal, really. They never mention him, but his name is Amron. And it's Amron and Jochebed. Those are the parents of Moses. So if anybody ever asks you, you're so ready. In fact, I would initiate it. If you're at a party somewhere and you're looking for something to start the conversation with, hey, by the way, do you know the parents' names of Moses? And you're just, people will just be, you'll be like a social magnet at that moment. You have a hard time getting out of that party because people say, more, tell me more. Ask me more questions. So I'm the father. I mean, I'm the God of your father, Abraham, the God of Isaac, God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The immensity of the moment caught up with him. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land. A land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, Termites, Parasites, all of them, all of them are living there. And uh, they're not going to be living there once um, Moses gets on the move. And God says, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. And he remember, he said, I've come down to help them. So he says this, so now go. <laughs> I'm sending you. Well, wait, wait, wait. You said you come down. Uh, yeah, of course I've come down, and you're going, and I'll be with you. 
This is how God does stuff. Big problem. I see it. I recognize it. My heart is broken by it, and uh, I'm sending you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Buh, 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 buh. Yeah, that's what happens following this. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, it's the next chapter he talks about his stuttering and all of his other excuses, but this is just the first round of, of uh, it, uh, you've definitely got the wrong guy. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Especially because he knows me. <laughs> oh my gosh, I've got no credibility. Oh yeah, I know you. No, no, I know who Moses is. Bring him in. So why did you run away? Why did you kill that guy? Well, that's a long story. I got time. I don't have time. I'm here to give you a message from God. Oh, that's a real, you've got a lot of authority and credibility with me. So Moses is thinking, this is not going to go well. God said, I will be with you. We tend to think that's the first round of negotiation, and the response to that is, but. When God says, I will be with you, it's pretty much over. It's an order, it's a command, it's not a, can we please talk this through? Could you just do me one more favor? I'll owe you one. I will be with you. What else do you need to know? I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Now, at the risk of sounding cynical, if you're out in the middle of nowhere and you're looking at a, a mountain, the equivalent of the Panamint Range in Death Valley, and, the big, and somebody says, now, risking your life doing this outrageous thing that is virtually impossible from your perspective, the big payoff for you, the motivator I want to give you right now is that you're going to get to come back here to Death Valley and, ha- and have a big celebration on that mountain. You'd be thinking, I- I'm not sure if I, mi- I saw the value proposition in that. I- it's sort of... But what God is saying is something phenomenal is going to happen. If you can't look at me right now and you're quivering standing on holy ground with, you know, barefooted and you're hearing me speak to you from a bush that's not being consumed, there's more. It gets better. Everybody can be part of this conversation that we're having. So this is the, this is the power of this. The power of God's call is not that we're going to be awesome and do great things and be singing songs about us and writing stories and plaques somewhere. There's a plaque in the middle of, of the road in Oxford. Uh, and just off the road, there's a, there's a little monument. And it's, you think, wow, this must be a pretty big deal. they got a plaque in the middle of the road, this monument. And when you walk up and read it, it's about three guys who wouldn't deny their faith in Christ and were burned in the auspicious intellectual capital of Great Britain. Burned in public for their faith in Christ. So it's a scary thing, except that God was with them. And so when they were being burned to death in this horrific situation, some of the finest minds at Oxford and in Europe, uh, they, they cheered each other on. They cheered each other on. Ridley, play the man. But today is your day kind of thing. Oh, my gosh. So when you brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Powerful things are in play, Moses. So Moses said to God, well, suppose I go to the Israelites. So he's, he's conceding, but I need to qualify this a bit. Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? 
Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Now for a generation of people, this is immediately familiar as what Popeye would say. I am what I am. And every child in, 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 in that generation who watched all the best cartoons of all time, by the way, would say, I was preloaded with this no no notion of somebody who says, I am what I am. Now in the case of God saying this, uh, it, it's, 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 a, it's the verb about to be. I am what I am. So it comes out, if you, if you, if you take it out to where, uh, from those four letters, it's, it's in the Hebrew language, a yod, a ya, y sound, a h, ha, a v, vav, and then a ha. So it's four letters. They call that the tetragrammaton, the four letters. The holy name of God that is not uttered. Going back to why it's in uppercase, L-O-R-D, is that this name is never uttered in public reading of Scripture. So if I was to read this in Hebrew and I got to where it said Lord capitalized, I wouldn't say Jehovah, I would say Adonai, out of respect. I'll say Adonai is Lord, Jehovah is the holy name, but we all know it's Jehovah. When, when Moses in Deuteronomy says, you know, the Lord our God is one, it's Jehovah is one, Echad, but it says, when, when, when read it's Adonai Echad, Adonai is one. So this is the momentous occasion that God is telling him his name. And in Hebrew it's Vehu Haya, Vehu Vehu Yihye. He who is and was and will be. It's powerful. Does that sound familiar to you? Jesus saying, who are you? I am. Before Abraham was, I am. So there's a lot packed into this. This is why understanding plot and character in the Bible is so incredibly important. And so he says, this is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. Sent me to you. Say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Wow. So we talk about the name of the Lord in the name of Jesus. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're not just invoking religious language. We're recognizing the power of the name. So if somebody says, well, there's no power in the name Jesus, lots of people are named Jesus. Jesus in Mexico, Joshua, other places. What's the big deal about the name? There was nothing holy and talismanic about the name. It's the power behind the name. So it's the power of God. We see the name of Jesus. We're saying it's the power of God made real in Jesus. The invisible God made visible. That's why it says Christ in you, the hope of glory. The power of God let, let loose in you. So what is a godly leader? Because that's what's happening here. Moses is being raised up as a godly leader. We're not going to go back and regain your status as a prince. I'm not going to make you a future king. I'm raising you up to lead. To advocate on behalf of your people, to facilitate what I alone can make happen. So what is a godly leader? It's simply being a godly person influencing others. Let me give you, a, I made a brief list of seven things off the top of my head that I thought would, would fit the bill. Uh, it's, it's about seeking to understand the call of God in your life. This is stuff anybody can do. It's having a positive spiritual influence on others by pointing them to God. It's humbly accepting responsibility and exercising authority without fanfare. 
It's, it's being willing to do real work serving God and serving people with courage and grace. It's using your resources generously for God and for people. It's welcoming support and accountability from God and people. It's glorifying God and blessing people because you love both. Um, every one of us can fit that bill. Every one of us can, can do that. No special equipment needed. Yes, you can do this at home and wherever you go. So God wants you to be this kind of person. It's the kind of person he wanted Moses to be. It's the kind of person he wanted to raise up an entire nation to be. A nation of priests, really. We call that, from the time of the Reformation on, the priesthood of all believers. Where do we get that? We get that from the Word of God. In fact, you know, the operating motif of this church, a model for this church, uh, is equipped to be a blessing, right? Coming out of Genesis 12, 15 and 17. But also, in, in, in Ephesians 4.11, it says, equipping the saints for ministry. So we can rise up as a holy temple. That was in chapter 2, then chapter 4 of Ephesians. saying We're a holy temple in the Lord. where he, he fills that place with His glory. Everybody has access to this. Everybody is called to this. Remember, Moses' name means, means one who draws forth. God draws forth leaders to accomplish His purposes. People like you. Now, now this might sound a little awkward, but would you, uh, would, and the count of three, would you simply say your name aloud? One, two, three. Okay, that is a leader name. Did you know that? When you say your name, oh, that's a leader name. Can I indulge one more time and say, would you say your name aloud one more time? Yeah, that's a servant name. I don't know if you knew that. That's a servant name. Uh, that's, your name is a servant leader name. So if somebody were to say your name, uh, as in they're looking for a servant leader and they called out your name, your ears would perk up and you go, yeah, what can I do for you? Servant leaders don't find their authority in power and control, a big title. In our humility and vulnerability, God empowers us with credibility and authority. It starts with humility and vulnerability in order to have credibility and authority. Not to lord it over people, but to serve. Now, you don't have to apologize for the power you have as a leader. Never apologize for the role. You're still a brother among the brothers, a sister among the sisters, but you have a role and a responsibility that people are counting on, God's counting on. God doesn't need us, but God chooses to work in us and through us. It goes back to Genesis 1, 2. Stewards of creation, created in the image of God to serve. So we see this in Moses' life, and we'll see it in ours as we take this seriously. As we start to ask the question, how does God's story shape mine? As we ask each other, hey, well, how does God's story shape yours? What's been your experience of that? See, because God wants you to be his person. God saw Moses' competence, but Moses didn't. You don't see your competence either in the same way. Hey, you've been called to be a priest of God. You're the, you're the main minister to your children and grandchildren. Oh, no, 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 you, don't, you mistake me for somebody else. You give me too much credit. Mm, no, don't give me that faux humility by way of saying I'm not taking the responsibility. I'm not really competent, not really qualified. Get over yourself. You're not willing to accept your competence or your qualifications. Accept the gift that God's giving you to be a person of influence in his name. 
You're already doing it. It's just that you, but by taking responsibility for it, you do it more intentionally and deliberately. You know what the, the secret of a great marriage is? Is to be intentional. You know what the secret of great parenting is? To be intentional. Intentional and deliberate. On purpose, I'm choosing to do this. I'm saying yes to God's invitation. I'm submitting to his command. So God saw Moses' confidence, but Moses didn't. So his lack of confidence held him back. Hey, I'm just a guy here in the desert. I used to be a prince, but that's over. Just me and the sheep. But I've got an awesome wife and a great father-in-law. So my two sons-in-law say. Anyway, so um, I'd like to think so. I know for sure they say the first part. So, what was it up for in Moses' moment of truth? Just simply trusting God, listening to God, obeying God. Wasn't it great that Moses asked questions? I think that was his strongest suit in this whole engagement. As he asked questions, thoughtful questions, he was curious. His lack of confidence held him back, and I see this in so many followers of Jesus. It's a convenient lack of confidence. Because I've seen how crazy and brain damaging it can be to get involved in church life. I just don't want to do that. Wow, Satan loves it when we talk that way. Satan loves it when we think that way. It'd be like signing up for the, for, for the military, some branch of the military, and a moment of truth comes, and they're, they're, they're mobilizing, and you go, you know, I t- forgot to mention, I don't do war. I, I love uniforms. Appreciate the structure, the three hots and the cot, but I just don't do battle. So, you know, you'll, I know you'll understand. And they, they would either put you in handcuffs and in a cell, or they'd say, you're coming with us no matter what. Here, here's a bag of band-aids. You'd be a medic. You don't have to carry a gun. I'm not mocking pacifism. I'm saying when God calls us to action, lives are at stake. And so Moses' potential needed to be released for God's purposes. But how? Well, listening. And what's in it, what's in you that needs to be released for God's purposes? Well, being curious and open. Again, I said that's how Moses was. He listened and he was curious and he's open. To obey just means to listen, literally, obedire, to listen. And so humility and vulnerability are about honesty. It simply says, I need to learn and grow. I'm not comfortable with the idea of being a leader because I think of it in some terms where it's big personality and I have all these you know, capacities to, to manipulate and exploit people. Instead of saying, well, if I have a sphere of influence in my family, in my neighborhood, my friendship network, I guess I'm a, a leader of sorts. So okay, I'll accept that. I need to learn and grow how to do that most effectively. Wow, all kinds of possibilities open up. I need to learn to be a better listener. Good idea. I knew a guy who became a phenomenal leader. He's still a phenomenal leader. He said, the big moment of truth for me was I realized I didn't like people. And I had to pray, Lord, show me how to love people. It was a breakthrough for this guy. It changed his whole life. It's changed a lot of other people's lives because he finally said, I'm going to learn to love people. I'd rather just do my own thing. That was a moment of truth for him. I need to learn and grow. And so credibility and authority are all about character. I will use my power to bless others. Credibility and authority are not weapons for control, but the means to bless. That's the point here. Great and true and authentic authority always blesses. You know you've been in the presence of great authority because when you leave, you feel like, I feel like, though, that was a big, hard challenge or reprimand or assignment given me. I feel blessed. Somehow I feel affirmed and empowered and blessed by that authority. That's how you can tell it's good authority. 
Bad authority demeans you, diminishes you, makes you feel intimidated and lesser than when you walked in the room. It makes you feel like I'm walking on eggshells because if I do something wrong, I get clobbered. It makes you second guess everything about you. It makes you stop being willing to risk and play everything safe. It's a CYA moment for the whole world. How can I cover my tracks? Instead of saying, you know, that authority so inspired me, I'm willing to walk through fire. And what kind of authority is that built on? Love, truth, righteousness. Like we saw in Joseph, Moses is another signpost foreshadowing Jesus. Jesus is the great I am. The following from this is that more conversation with Moses. Moses obeys God. Pharaoh is given an opportunity to, to cooperate. Plagues are delivered. The final one is this moment of truth where uh, the Passover happens. Moses is instructed and, and, and instructs the people uh, to <clears throat> gather, get dressed, get ready to go, take an unblemished, uh, perfect lamb, slaughter it without breaking the bones, prepare it as a meal, clean out any yeast in their house, eat the, eat the roasted meat completely, uh, eat it with bitter herbs, remembering the slavery and the cost of stepping out in faith, and to cover the doorposts with blood. You can imagine either like this, this, and this, or like this and like this. So that when the angel of death swept over the land, the angel of death would pass over. And this is where we get the idea of Jesus, the Passover lamb, the lamb of God. The whole book of Hebrews articulates this really well. They pass through the Red Sea, they go back out into the desert, they, they arrive at Sinai, they receive the law, and then God instructs them to build a tabernacle. Verses 20 to 24 are getting the law, Verses uh, chapters 20 to 24, 25 to 40, all about this tabernacle, phenomenal. The artistry and, and the fact that God is all about beauty and creativity. So that's it. That's, that's Exodus in a nutshell. And this one who is the, the Passover lamb, to whom all authority belongs, says it this way, Now that I, Jesus said, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So Lord Jesus, I pray that you could help us know ever more deeply Understand ever more profoundly what you have done, what you are doing, and how you've called us to join you in that work. Wow, Lord, it's overwhelming, it's scary. And yet you've told us that you are with us and you are for us. And the whole point is to bless people in your name. So Lord, to you be the glory as we each in our own turn say yes to you and follow you. We pray this is in Jesus' high and holy name. Amen. Well, the worship team is going to lead us another song uh, before we conclude. Uh, remember, this is an offering time as in you offering yourself to the Lord. Whatever gifts you brought, put them in the box or send them to us. But really, this is about you offering to Him. Lord, here's who I am. And this is a word you can maybe start your little prayer with. I don't mean little as diminutive. I mean little as brief. Hineni, Lord, here I am. What do you want to say to me? What do you want to do in me? What do you want to do through me? Let's worship the Lord together.
song said it way better than I just did, and I am just absolutely feeling like I'm standing on holy ground right now. I hope you feel that way too. So in that moment of awareness that we're standing in the presence of the Lord, let's remember that when we leave here, we'll be in the presence of the Lord. And wherever we go, we will be in the presence of the Lord. And that's why when we come back here to worship again, we'll say, Lord, thank you for all you did 
since the last time I was with your people in your presence because you've been with me the whole time. If we can pray for you about anything that would help you uh, in your life or in the life of somebody else, go out right around the corner to the prayer garden and there'll be somebody who will pray with you. Kathy will be there to pray with you. Um, if there's anything we can do to help you grow in your, your walk with Jesus, uh, we'd love to be able to help you in that way too. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord who loves us more than we can ask or even imagine give us everything we need to walk in newness and fullness of life with him, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Go have some uh, refreshments and uh, some connecting time. Come back at 11 and uh, 5-2 even, and we're going to ramp up some conversations. Really a fun session today. Look forward to seeing you there.